Welcome back to the Big Esports Podcast. This is episode number 36 and I've got Ryan, the special projects lead from Team Liquid and Liquid Media. And it's a fantastic chat we have from a very different angle than when the last time I talked to a global powerhouse team, which was Ann Matthews from Fanatic, because we talked to Ryan a lot about diversification income. We talk about the foundation of Liquid Media and how it as an agency and a player agency and a talent agency fits within the overall part of Team Liquid. What it offers besides just bringing in new people and cool Twitch streamers and how it actually works on developing the internal players and really where you know Ryan himself has come and where esports has come from the last eight years to today. Once again, this is a part of our series we're recording here live at Intel Extreme Masters in Sydney, and we've got a whole bunch of podcasts coming out from local and international guests. A quick word from our sponsors before we jump straight into the podcast. PLE Computers is a retailer here in Australia that's supported big since the start. We like working with them because they're such a promoter, supporter and advocate for the grassroots and growing members within our community. They've been known to help out gaming teams with PCs when they're desperate to go overseas and play in tournaments like DreamHack and QuakeCon. They're supporting all of the local LAN, gaming and grassroots gaming events and they're able to always provide some business advice to those who are reaching out. So if you're looking to grab yourself a gaming PC, looking to fit out your business as we did here at Big Esports, you can make sure to get in contact with the team at PLE Computers. Ryan, mate, I am Sydney 2019, one of the biggest gaming events on the calendar for us. But uh, how, how do you find it as a bit of a global jet setter compared to what you're usually used to going to? Yeah, it's a really good time. I mean, it, it's crazy to see how passionate people are. You know, I went yesterday, Friday afternoon. Generally, people are still working and the arena looked about 70%, 80% full. And people are walking around in so many different jerseys, um, supporting so many different global teams. You know, like a couple of years ago when there was all these events happening at Crown and stuff and we had international teams coming over for the first time, mm. you know, we had thousands of Australian fans that, you know, were, were massive fans of esports globally and didn't even know there was an Australian scene. Mm. And seeing how passionate they get about all the global teams coming over, it's unreal. Yeah, that, that jersey point's really interesting, actually. It's not something I've ever thought about before because when you talked about those crown events that were, I think, around 2014 kind of time, you didn't see anybody wearing any jerseys at that stage, really. You know, maybe yeah. some of the real hardcore fans that have been around since, like, Counter-Strike 1.6 or something of the CSGO teams. But now it's it's the absolute norm for everybody to be rocking a Greyhound or a Liquid or an NIP jersey. Yeah, it's, it's really interesting. You know, I used to be able to wear a liquid jersey or a jacket or anything and people be like, oh my God, that guy's in Team Liquid. And now I just blend into the crowd. Like I I go to an event, um, specifically I am, and there's just people everywhere. Like there's just liquid jerseys, you know, Cloud9 jerseys. I walked around the arena and the line for the merch store was huge. Like everyone is so willing to support their teams now. Mm. Um, You know, I, I didn't think that people would support Greyhound as much as they do. Mm. You know, Greyhound, obviously, most successful Australian team at this event specifically. Um, yeah. The other one's exiting early, unfortunately. And I've seen Greyhound jerseys as much as I've seen Renegades jerseys Yeah, um, just because they went a little bit deeper. Like, people are so supportive now of everything here. It's unreal. Yeah, I found that really interesting. And that's a, a topic that we haven't talked about, but I'd love to start with the fact of the fan jerseys look exactly like the player jerseys. And it, it, and in esports, a lot of the people are younger demographics, the players and the fans as well. Do you find as being part of a team that is a good thing? Is it a bad thing? Is it a concern that maybe your players aren't recognised because their jerseys are the same? Or, yeah, what are your general thoughts around that? 
Um, I think it's it's good and it's okay at the same time. You know, like it's it's really important for fans to feel like they're engaged with the brand and yep. that they're also part of the team and that they're supporting it and they're, they're, they really want to show off that they are, you know, a Team Liquid supporter, a Renegade supporter, whomever it is. Yeah. Um, and it, it does have its benefits for players as well that they can sort of blend into the crowd and, and not get hounded and and rushed by fans wanting things to get signed. It's good as well. Um, but it also has its negatives in, in the sense that, yeah, you know, maybe they won't get as recognised. Um, maybe as well, like we've seen fans choose to not buy a jersey if it looks exactly the same um, or if it doesn't. You know, we... Our jerseys that we sell retail are not the same as player jerseys. Um, they don't have sponsors on them. And that's yeah, okay. a decision made because, you know, certain sponsors, you can't sell their logo um, on your product on their behalf. So there's some reasons why we don't have ours retailed like that. Mm-hmm. So you can spot, you know, someone that is an actual team looker player or staff. If you're a strong enough fan, like you'll recognize that, oh, he's got sponsors. He has a name on it. Mm-hmm. Um and we've had both the positives and the negatives of that. People have said, oh, my God, I really want to buy this jersey because I don't want to look like a NASCAR driver with just sponsors everywhere. I don't want yeah. to look like a billboard. Yeah. Um, but we've also had fans say, oh, I don't want to buy this jersey because it's not the same as what the players use. Yeah, I like that NASCAR analogy partly because I've used it in the past too. It's it's always been interesting to me as an esports fan. You know, you've got V8 supercars. It's probably the closest here in Australia. And you see fans in the jacket with like legitimately – 15 logo placements all over the jacket. And it's very yeah. different to esports where you're selling, you know, one on the sleeve, maybe two, you know, one on the chest, maybe two, one or two on the back kind of thing compared yeah. to this, yeah, logo spam all over a car and a jacket. Yeah, and is that an advantage for you being, you know, selling sponsorship in esports versus traditional sport because you're giving a larger percentage of logo share to these sponsors? Yeah, I, I think um, it's hard, but it, it is also a good thing. You know, like a logo on a jersey is worth quite a lot. Um, and also the positioning is taken into advantage. You know, there's, you're right, like we, we sell very few spots. Um, you look at Team Liquid, for example, you know, you might see seven or eight sponsors at any given time on the on the socials and on the headers and streams, and for example, but you might only mm. see four on the jersey because they're not always sold. It's reserved for like the people that are really supportive of the organisation, the big partners. Um I think, like, compared to traditional sports, um, it is it's interesting because, like, non-endemics will recognise that. They recognise, okay, this is a jersey placement. This, this makes sense. We know what this is for. Mm. We know where it's going to be seen. You know, this is the uniform um, of mm-hmm. the team. It's going to be seen everywhere. But it's also a bit hard because nowadays especially like with this generation, people like yourself and myself um, grew up in the age of advertising and digital media. And so a lot of people that are our age, people in their 20s and younger getting into eSports now, mm. logo placements on jerseys and on streams and stuff are almost invisible to them. It sort of just blends in. It's like, yeah, it's part of the uniform. It's mm. almost just part of the design. Like these logos, they don't really recognise it unless it's, it, it, 
stands out. Yeah, you know? except like Cloud9 and Red Bull, right, is a great example of a yeah. Yeah, jersey Thing, and a logo. Things that will stand out would be like, you know, Monster Energy's claw on our jersey because everything else is white and blue and then you have Monster, which is their colours, and mm. people will notice it straight away and it's the first thing they point out, how it's how retail jerseys are different from team jerseys. Yeah, okay. But yeah, it's it has its drawbacks, but it also has its positives in both regards. Yeah, really interesting. So I guess we skipped where we usually start. So so we'll go back to where we should have started. And yeah, can you give us a bit of a rundown on you know your basic history in esports and how that's relevant to where you are right now? Yeah, so I've been in esports for about eight years. Just following as a fan, I came from the Call of Duty console scene actually, mm-hmm. um, and I was doing graphics at the time. I really wanted to be a content creator and an influencer. At the time I wanted to be a YouTuber um, because back then you know Twitch was really small. It was probably still just in TV then. And mm. I wanted to develop my own things and I, I didn't want to be reliant on having to pay graphics or editors or something, you know, when you're a young teenager or, you know, whatever, you don't have that money. Yeah. Um, and, and even eight years ago, people were not spending that money there. Like they were very using it very mindfully. Yeah. Um, developing that skill set then led me to working with pro players and building out pro player brands in Call of Duty and ANZ and using that as a way to get my uh, get my name out there and get known and have people want to network with me and want to actually care about their brand as much as, you know, six years ago, which thankfully led me to opportunities at things like Cybergamer, which is, of course, was the biggest uh, online tournament platform for us. It let me really work under great people that are now at ESL and are industry leading in ANZ, Mm. which of course led me to working with teams, working with pro players and getting me to where I am now. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, using this opportunity is something as small as a graphics role five years ago took me from Cybergamer into Avant, Team Immunity Chiefs, whomever, and from there becoming a jack of all trades, you know, not just relying on graphics but becoming a social media person, becoming a content person, community management, everything. Mm-hmm. So that way when time came three years ago when I had the opportunity to work with a Team Liquid, I had a lot more tools at my disposal. You know, I could say, hey, you know, you can bring me on for social media, but you could also bring me on for community, for content, for graphics. I can do it all, whatever mm. you need. Um, and thankfully like that, those skills have helped me so much in my job now. You know, I started doing social with TL and then mm-hmm. graphics and community. I went through everything. Like everything that I said I could do, I used as a way to level up over yeah. time. And then as I went into management, I still get to go back at these skills. I still I understand how teams do social media. I understand how we do social media. So I can look mm. at it and be like, okay, well, if I'm building out a campaign, this is what Team Liquid would do. This is what we should do. This is what players should do. And you know, if I'm doing a presentation, if I'm doing a pitch for someone, I don't need to rely or like use up resources of our graphics team who are incredible at what they do i can do it myself i can build out these things so yeah yeah it generally follows the definitely follows the general advice that i give to people when they say how do i get into esports which is pick one thing and stick with it so for you obviously you started as a you know as a content creator and a graphics and, and social person yourself and then 
you added on one extra thing, which is working with teams and, and doing some management with them and personnel management. You added on another thing, which is dealing with sponsors and learning how to do proposals and, and structuring business deals. And, you know, you're adding on these things one at a time, but it's not, you're not pigeonholing yourself into one area, but also it sounds like you're knocking over, getting a proper understanding of something before you move on to the next. You're not saying, okay, I'm a graphics pro and then for two months you're doing Photoshop and then you go, okay, Quitting that, now I'm going to be a shoutcaster. And you're doing that for a couple of months, okay? I'm quitting that, I'm going to go big on Twitch. And you go stream for a bit. You're actually knocking over these things and adding it to your skill set. And like you said, you can come back to it at a later time. And and from personal experience, that helps so much. If you're a community manager or a marketing manager that can also do a bit of graphic stuff, um, you know, so many, many more doors are, are open to you because of that. Yeah, I think... Um the, the most important thing to me about it and the thing why I was always so proud of being able to do those things is you're making yourself more valuable. You're making yourself mm. stand out. You know, it's, it is hard for people to get into esports and to get a well-paying job. You know, we have developed so much from where we were even three years ago, but it's still yeah. really difficult for people to get full-time work, to get employee benefits, to get everything. Yeah. Um, and especially when you're in a remote area like Australia and you want to work with massive North American and European teams, it's harder for you to get these opportunities because it's an inconvenience to these companies to have to navigate the time zones and remote staff and have to figure out all these different things in these communities. If you can make yourself so much more valuable by just learning, if you can just learn how social media works, you can learn how to do graphics, how content works, how community works, how influencers work. And at some point it will like an opportunity will come to you because you've made yourself so much more valuable and it gives you a lot of insight as well into making decisions. You know, when I've built a player's brand, when I've built an influencer's brand mm-hmm. um, or even Liquid Media as an agency and built that under Team Liquid, having that being trained in social media, I was able to say, hey, ex-influencer, you should be doing this on Twitter. You should be doing this on Instagram or this on Facebook. You know, did you know that these tools exist? Because that's what I did. You know, I understood that. Or mm. developing their brands you know, I wasn't able to, I wasn't just saying you need a logo because everyone knows you need a logo. It was, what's your theme? Like what, not mm. just what colors you want to use. What do you want your brand to say? What do you want it to stand out to be? Yeah. What do you, what should it look like? You know, yeah. when I developed Look Media to be publicly recognized, what do I want our colors to be? How do I want this? Do I want it to stand alone or do I want it to really tie in into Team Liquid? Mm. And I was only able to do that and stand out like that and have a good understanding of that because I was willing to learn everything first. It, it'll always come back. You'll always find opportunity because mm. of that. Yeah, for sure. So going back to uh, a bit of what I talked about in podcast 34 with Seamus is um, conversations how, and how the landscape is, is growing and, and how conversations change with that. So can you give us a, a little bit of a look into yourself, you know, five years ago, what sort of conversations were you having behind the scenes with people that just simply don't exist or are taken for granted today? You know, five years ago when I, I was having conversations with people and none of us were sure of what we were doing, you know, like we were doing it because we were so passionate. Like five years ago, I was in high school, I was struggling in high school, you know, I was a kid that didn't want to go to school, didn't want to learn anything. I didn't have social issues, but like I didn't, it wasn't really what I was wanting to do. Like I would mm. come home and I would be so much happier talking to people online that I might never meet. And when I was working and doing that, I wasn't, yeah. the, the things we were concerned about was what am I going to do in real life? You know, it wasn't, it wasn't even, oh, how am I going to become full time? 
it was so rare. Like it was, you know, you would look at teams like Fnatic, Cloud9, Team Liquid, and these these teams were like godlike figures. You're like, oh my god, could you imagine meeting someone from Fnatic one day? Um, mm. And it was, you know, I would sit there like, okay, you know, I'm doing graphics now. I'm doing <clears throat> cyber gaming now. I'm doing this in esports. I'm going to have fun with it, but I'm going to use it to learn. And then, you know, when, when I need to, when I absolutely need to, I'll go get a job in graphics or I will go be a tradie, like do, do whatever. Mm. It was never, I never thought that it would become a thing. Like we, we didn't think it would be sustainable. We didn't think these opportunities would happen. Yeah. Um, th- those are the conversations I was having with people I was working with. None of us thought this was, this was going to happen. Um, you know, even as far as like companies and things go, you know, you have to, you had to explain so much more. It wasn't just explaining what esports is. Like I had to explain what gaming is. Mm. What, why do people play on Xbox 360 and, and, and PlayStation? What about PC? What about mobile phones? Like, could you, could you be a pro player on that? Um, people mm. just didn't even understand what gaming was. Why would you want to do that? Um, not just esports. <clears throat> and now it wasn't even a conversation and like now i can get i get an, an uber you know i'm in ubers every like all day every day traveling between meetings you know what are you in town for what do you what do you do for work oh i manage an esports team and it might be like what is that still you, know, you might say oh it's competitive gaming oh yeah i do that my son plays Fortnite. Mm-hmm. um you work with a non-endemic Oh, oh my God, like, did you see Fortnite at the Australian Open? My little girl, she's eight years old. She plays Fortnite, but she's so good. She's now the most popular person in class. Like, yeah. those are the conversations you have now. And, you know, you do still have to explain it to some people. Like, people will understand esports, but they don't understand why it's as big as it is, why it's growing the way it is, mm-hmm. what the benefits are. But it's so much it's so much easier now. Uh, I feel it's so much more publicly respected and understood. Mm. Yeah, definitely right. It's it's funny to say Fortnite has made my job so much easier now. Yeah. It was kind of, I feel like Minecraft was breaching it a little bit in the past. You know, I remember, I specifically remember talking to a local politician about it and then I could see the cogs ticking in his mind because his son played Minecraft and then his son's friend played Minecraft and when they come around, they're on the iPad or on the netbook playing Minecraft and I could see that and I was like, okay, this is great. I've got somewhere where I can sit with these people but now it's just Fortnite straight away and whenever I talk to people at a conference or whatever, you know, you just mention Fortnite, you make a joke about it, you get a few laughs because they're all annoyed because, you know, Christmas just happened, all the kids are playing Fortnite on their iPhone or iPad or whatever but it's a great standing point now. There's actually... There's some common ground where common ground simply did not exist before. You know, like it's so interesting as well because even even if kids would play games, you know, like my my friends, like when we were growing up, it was all Halo and Call of Duty, and you know, almost I would say every single parent has heard of Call of Duty. Like no matter where you are, yeah, you've passed somewhere, you know, an EB, JBI, Fi, GameStop, no matter what, yeah, you've heard of Call of Duty, you, you've heard of these games. You know, if you're in PC, you've probably heard of League of Legends or of Counter Strike. And it's hard for them to understand. Yeah, like, you, you run around shooting people. Like, what? What is a mage? What's an assassin? Like, like mm. they they didn't they didn't get it. But Fortnite, not only is it played by by a lot of different people, um, it's it's used as a way for like parents to get more involved with their children. You know, like I've had so yeah. many meetings with non endemics where they say. Yeah, like my kid is so popular at school now because they're good at Fortnite or, you know, they're, oh, wow. they used to be so shy 
but then they started playing Fortnite and they're talking to these people on the internet and now they have so much confidence. They've got so many more social skills now. Yeah, fantastic. But for them to actually learn, they just go on their phone and they download Fortnite and they play. And now the parents understand gaming. Like they understand Fortnite. Like, wow, this is cool. Imagine, is there people better? Like who are the best people? Oh my God, there's esports. Like mm. this is awesome. It's a whole new world. Yeah, it's yeah. so easy now. <laughs> yeah, it's really interesting. And, and like, um, you know, obviously, you know, Brett Sullivan from Flak Test as well. And I had some very interesting discussions. And for those listening, Flak Test Gaming is a, is a high school esports league here in Australia. And him talking about that, for, for him and his kids, because he was a high school teacher, a lot of them, it's not about the performance of the game. It's not about who's best at the game. It's the conversation around the content of the game and what's happening. And he was saying that clips go viral inside their school you know everyone's looking at look at this rocket jump that tommy from grade nine did it's fantastic they're loading up the youtube video and showing and that kid becomes one of the most popular kids in school which is the literal opposite of what it used to be where you don't want to tell anyone you play games because you're a nerd and you're an idiot yeah like literally um i play a lot with albert or, or naked and for people who don't know him he's ceo of Mindfreak, um, one of the organizations here in australia and we would play with you know, his cousins, for example, would, would join our lobby or Fortnite and we were like, okay, you know, like we, we'll, we'll squat up with his cousin who's in, you know, primary school, or like early high school and his friends would come and play and, mm. you know, they could play all day, all week and not win a game. And, I, and it's so foreign to people like myself and Naked. It's like, how, why would you play this game so much if you're not winning, if you're not so good at it? Yeah. And they were having fun and we would, we would carry them to win. Like we, they, we would win multiple times a day with them and it was like Christmas for them. It was like, oh, my God, I've won three games of Fortnite. I can't wait to go to school tomorrow and tell my friends, like, look, guys, I just won a game on Fortnite. Like, yeah. look at this. Look how cool that is. Yeah. Um, you it's know, good analogy, yeah. Even like, like with Brett, like I had a conversation with him that, you know, he's in, he's in Perth in Western Australia where I am. And I would have been in high school, you know, five years ago if I was still doing it. If I didn't, I, I dropped out in year 10 to keep doing esports stuff. I didn't graduate high school. And so I'm talking to this person that is doing a lot of these high school esports things. And he asked me, he says, what, what high school did you go to? And I tell him, and he said, they have an esports club now. Like they, they have a big esports club, like one of the biggest. Yeah, wow. They're super involved with flag tests and they're super involved with esports. And they apparently had a... um like an esports thing at, at the school and over a hundred people lined up to sign up at the, at the school. It was just a line that was just endless wow. of students signing up to play an esports. This was five years ago when no one, no one knew it. Like I, yeah. I've had friends from high school reach out to me and say, what do you do now? I explain I'm like, Oh my God, we're big fans of esports. I can't believe you work at team liquid. Yeah. And I was like, this is literally a couple of years ago. If I was at high school, I would have been like, king of the school like if yeah. i was just a cu- it's just a couple years ago like it's so you're the american high school quarterback basically right? yeah you like know, if it, you're playing top level counter-strike these days and you're you know the next pick to get into greyhounds to go overseas it's really what you are yeah like it was so cool like you know, you know people would be like oh my god i played with this pro player i played with this person from this team like if and i was good at games like i played you know my games were, were call of duty and halo and things like that mm. um not you see it's good not your league of legends um until after high school but you know, I was good at those games and people would want to play with me and be like, oh my God, are you really as good as you think you are? Like, let's 1v1, like, versus me, like, after school. And yeah. I would do that. People would be like, oh my God, it's so good. And then later, like, later in the week, people would be talking like, oh my God, like, Ryan's actually so good at Call of Duty. Like, he'll beat anyone. Yeah. And like, it was that, but it never, it was just in your friendship group. 
Yeah. Like your, your small group of friends that also happen to play games, you know, people would, you know, you might be an outcast or you might be, you know, it could be everyone. For me, I had a, my group of gamers were people that were, you know, sports people, people were playing with rugby scholarships, people that were your stereotypical nerd, people that were art students. Like it didn't mm. matter. Um, but now it's like if you're good at your game in your local school, you're like, you're popular. Like you are, you're the A tier in your school. It's, mm. it's so, it's strange now. It's so awesome to see that. Yeah, it's interesting um, talking about uh, people who say they're good at games. I, I love that thing you brought up. I, In my experience, I find that if someone says they're good at a game, they're oh. either very good or very bad. There's nothing in between. They're not okay or anything like that, yeah. They're, when they're like, yeah, when they say they're good, they're either like extremely good, like they're about to be a pro player, or they already are a pro player. Yeah, and they're just unbelievable. Or yeah, like they're just they're very bad, and that's, you would beat them with like one hand. Like it's one or the other. Yeah, that's why I usually dodge the question when people ask me. You know, coming from semi semi professional Counter Strike background, I just tell people, no, I'm not good anymore. And then if yeah. if they think I'm good, they can, but I'm never going to call myself good. So you don't want to set yourself up for that failure, right? Yeah, I don't want to set the expectation. Like like I meet with people. And, um, you know, they might play League of Legends, like they're just getting into it. And I'm like, when I play League, I'm like gold, platinum, like whatever, yep. you know, it's, and that's average for like people who don't know, um, League of Legends, like average, above average in the, in the grand scheme of things, in the overall total player base, you're about average. Yep. Um, and people who are just starting to learn League, like League of Legends is hard to learn. It, it does have a big learning curve, especially yeah. if you haven't played a game like that before. Um, and people say, oh, my God, you're good, or, or you are so much good. And I'm just like, no, <laughs> yeah. I'm really not. <laughs> and I guess it's what, part of it's what your reference point is, right? Because I grew up in Tasmania where there wasn't much gaming action happening, let alone the rest of Australia. So a lot of the times they're a god in their school because they're a silver player and everyone else is a bronze, you know, and they, they're just a little bit better because they've got better reaction times or they've just watched a couple of demos and studied them or they paid someone to coach them for an hour or they just know something that the people don't know. Yeah. So I guess before we jump into some more Team Liquid stuff, I want to talk about um, some more like professional business development and stuff for yourself as well. So for you, you know, I'd, I'd probably put you in a category of a real quiet achiever, someone who's worked quite a lot for a long time and done many things, but they're not always broadcasting that. And you see that there's kind of two sides to the coin, I guess, to people that do a lot of things. There's someone like me who talks probably too much about what I do and someone like you who prefers to just get on with the work and do it. Is that a conscious decision from you or is it more just, you know, your history and how you were brought up? Um, I think it's like a conscious decision that I accidentally took too far. Um, you know, when I first got into esports, I was in Call of Duty esports, and mm. the, the stigma around Call of Duty esports and the stereotype is that it is pretty immature, yeah. and people are very loud and very vocal about everything. Like not just in game. You know, you go on social media and people are flaming each other. Yeah, and you know, I got in social media when I was really young unfortunately because i grew up in this age um Mm. and you know when i would hang out with these pro players when i would try and be as good as i possibly can about call of duty you know i would say too much like on twitter and and on people like i would rage i would publicly you know have have these outbursts and um and it was i I look back and now i'm like wow it's so annoying like it's so cringe and like at some point i just realized like you know what like i i want to work in esports, like I was, I didn't know if it was going to happen. Like I said, you know, a couple of years ago, you don't know. Yeah. And I didn't know if it was going to be a pro player or a graphics or something else that, that I was, that it was going to happen. But I knew like, I didn't want to have opportunities taken away from me because I said something I shouldn't have said. And so I just hmm. went on the extreme where I just stopped tweeting. I just stopped like completely. Um, 
and I stopped associating myself with people that would bring that side out of me, like bring that immature, unprofessional side out of me. Like I didn't yep. want to be like that. And so I would just distance myself and also stay quiet. Mm-hmm. And then over time, like as I would work more and more and more, you sort of distance yourself even more. You know, you work in Australia, you work for an Australian team. People know you because it's like, oh, that guy works in Chiefs, that guy works in Team Immunity. And if you're in Australian esports, it's a very small community. Um, everyone knows you. Yeah. Like, you, you know you know each other. Um, you know what you do. You know the org. But that's it. When you work for a global team, plus, like, you're not going out of your way to talk about what you're doing, it's really easy to just get forgotten or just get in that habit of not posting. Um, and, you know, mm. this weekend is my third year with Team Liquid now, which is a pretty long time in esports. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it's just that's just become my norm now. Like, I just don't talk and I distance myself, for better or for worse, from a lot of different people endemically. Um, and I think it is, like, it's a conscious decision of mine to not broadcast exactly what I'm working on. I, I do consider it to be a strategy to, you know, hold your cards close to your chest, mm-hmm. but also to my disadvantage now when I go to an event like an IEM or like a PAX, it is like almost starting all over again, you know, even though I'm in Team Liquid and I'm relatively high up and Team Liquid is arguably the best team in the world, you know, a lot of people regard it as like Team Liquid Fnatic Cloud9, um, depending on who you are. And, and it's like having to reinvent myself. It's like I have to rely on the small group of friends and acquaintances that I have in Australian esports to actually introduce me to people still all over again. You know, mm. I've been here for eight years and I have to do everything all over again mm. because I chose to be and as quiet as And I that's was. how we met last year, right? Through yeah. Albert at PAX. Yeah. yeah. Similar. Like yeah. it's, that's, that's what I had to rely to do because otherwise, you know, people wouldn't know. Um, mm. It has its benefits, but I probably did a... <laughs> probably let it get too to far the extreme away from me. Yeah. yeah no that's really that's some really good insight I really enjoyed that answer that was fantastic so touching a bit more on on uh, liquid and liquid media can you give me the elevator pitch as to what liquid media is and how it differs from team liquid and how it intersects with team liquid yeah so there's a few different parts of liquid media there's internal external and ANZ so the external side of liquid media um, what has been around for a long time. Liquid Media as itself has been around for many years before I even touched it. Liquid Media was a product that got made back when half of Team Liquid was cursed, you know, back in 2013, 2012, a very long time ago, when gaming agencies weren't a thing. You know, mm. you, you told me earlier, like a couple of years ago, people didn't even know what an agent or a manager, a manager was. Mm. And you talk about a, uh, a gaming agency in 2012 unbelievably rare um mm-hmm. and this was an initiative of like steve aronset and his team on the curse side of things as a way to monetize things better and a way like a, a business strategy yep sign all these streamers um and they worked with a lot of big name influencers in league of legends that i won't name but you would know all of them you know all of them if you're in league of legends or if you're in twitch you know all of these people mm. they work with them back in curse days but because curse was curse was really interesting it was it was it was a big business and they just had an esports team esports division gaming division um and because esports was so young then like they had such a small group of people it's they sort of had to prioritize esports they had to pick and choose they couldn't do everything 
So it would die, it would come back, it would die, it would come back. And um, that's what would happen in Team Liquid as well. Like in the merger, come back, die, come back and die because you need really valuable people to, you're essentially building another company under this company. Um, you need really valuable people working on it. But, you know, years ago, you needed all hands on deck. You know, you couldn't spare your best people going and building something else for you. You needed everyone working on sponsorships, managing teams, figuring out the direction for your company. Yeah, for so sure. So keep doing that. And then over the years, it's actually now it's been finally built up and you have consistent people doing it. So the external side is outsourced influence management. So that is, you know, you're as an agency, they are working with non-endemic companies or endemic companies and managing their budget to work with gaming influencers. Mm -hmm. And so Liquid Media External traditionally actually had the Intel uh, as their client. And Intel is obviously a blue chip company. That's a massive thing to handle Intel's gaming influences for EMEA. Uh, all of EMEA was done by Liquid Media External. Mm -hmm. That was their one like only client. That was their main thing. It was huge um, doing that for Intel. Um, and since they're doing it for like Ballistics now, which is Micron, Crucial, mm -hmm. and what's up, another massive company, and they handle all of their gaming influence budget for specific regions mm -hmm. um, and take care of all of that. And that's the external side. It's a really unique business opportunity that's this agency that's part of an esports org doing this outsource stuff for yeah. companies. The internal side is what I built again in um, starting in 2017, and it's a talent agency that does the uh it just works internally it was mm -hmm. built to grow the brands of every single pro player and every single influencer you know revenue monetization aside it wasn't the main thing the main thing was that you know we want to grow our brand we want to get fans and things like that and we expect our players to do content but it's sort of unfair that we expect them to become famous and to get all these followers and grow as a streamer and grow as a youtuber do it on their own and then we, you know, get the benefits of it. Yeah. And so we wanted to do something internally where it's like, you know what, team managers, like a team manager is a hard job. It's not just, oh, you get to travel around the world and do whatever. Our CSGO team, who was here at IEM Sydney, last year traveled about 270 days of the year oh, wow. around the world. And that's, you know, <laughs> Europe, America, Australia, like long travel days. They flew 17 hours to get here. And, you know, then they'll be off to another country next week. And um, and doing that, like, they don't have time to, as a team manager, to, to learn everything. Like, learn how social media works, learn what they should be doing for their brand and instilling it in them. Like, mm. you needed separate people to do this. And so we built that to give players, like, more of a chance to grow. Like, to have a dedicated person that's going to say, hey, double lift, you know, hey... Mid-beast, hey, whoever um, it is, whether it's a tiny Clash Royale player that's 17 years old, he's just joining esports for the first time, or it's one of the biggest people in the world being double lift, you know, almost a million followers on Twitter. What can we do to help you personally? Do you want graphics? Do you want sponsorships? Do you want help running your social media? You're on Twitter, but you're not on Facebook and Instagram. Do you hate running it? Like, how can we help you? You know, you're on Twitch, yeah. but you're not on YouTube. Can we help get you an editor and grow you there? Yeah. How can we turn you into a brand and do everything? And it was like, there's all these talent agencies, but talent agencies, if they're an influence agency in gaming, typically they don't look at esports. They don't look at athletes pretty much. It's yeah. they, they look at their influences because influencers, 
have so much more time. You know, they're streaming 150, 200 or more hours a month. You know, we have an influencer, Rikin, one of the biggest Brazilian League of Legends streamers. He does, on average, about 290 hours streamed a month. Yeah, That's wow. a lot. That's a lot you of know, streaming. So if you're an influencer agency, like, sure, like, I can understand. Like, you go for people that are just pure influencers because they're going to stream more, more chance to grow, get a bigger fan base, get a better return on investment, more opportunities through sponsorships. Mm. But for pro players, it's like pro players have a very big schedule. Like they have to prioritize competing. So why would you work with them? And so these agencies weren't even targeting athletes. And even then, mm. athletes don't want to go out of their way, sign another contract, have to do this, have to do that. They're pro players. Like they just want to focus on playing. Yeah. And so having an internal agency that's just going to like do everything a player could want possibly want it helps a lot yeah yeah that's fantastic yeah definitely and development is needed for so many of these players and it's you know staff satisfaction if nothing else right like the players are going to want to stay with you because you're actually developing them and you're giving them extra ways to make cash flow a big thing is yeah player retention you know like you you help them so much you show that you care and contract renegotiations come up and it's you know if they're a good player a bunch of different teams are going to offer the same, if not more money. Yeah. And in certain esports, that's a lot of money. Um, yeah. And it was, you know, it gives Team Liquid a, a position of power to say, look, you know, yeah, like you could go, you could earn a little bit more money, but are you going to get all these other benefits? Are they going to treat you as well? Are they going to care about you as well? Because we do, like we really do um, want to invest in your brand and help you. And I do think it's gone towards player retention. It's even gone towards player signings. You know, we've I've signed players and worked with some of the big um, player agencies like Evolved and things globally before ANZ became a thing. Um, And I would pitch to them, you know, players, agents who only have the best interest in mind for their players. And, you know, an agent typically wants to get the best thing, obviously, which is traditionally like salary, relocation, benefits. What else can you do for my player? And we've had players sign with us for you know, less salary than they would have gotten elsewhere at another tier one organization because purely because of the benefits that Liquid Media brings them. Mm. Like it goes a lot. And there's obviously revenue and everything as well, selling activations and sponsorships against that mm. and making it also self-sustainable and profitable, um, which I'm sure we'll get into. Yeah, for sure. But yeah, I mean, that's the internal side. And, and finally is the ANZ side of things, which I think is just, in a nutshell, it's literally just gaming and esports management. It's everything an endemic or a non-endemic brand could possibly want, specifically in Australia and New Zealand. Um, you know, being here myself, I saw that a lot of companies were hesitant to get involved, still are. Um, and if they do want to get involved, they're sort of not sure how, who to work with, and they're scared of spending money because what if it backfires? Mm. You know, do we re- like how how are we going to do this? What's the best way to do this? Yeah. Um, and so I thought, you know what, like we, our team has some of the most experienced people in the world, especially in this country, but we're also in a unique position where we understand ANZ because I grew up, I'm here, like this is yeah. what I know. So I, I thought, you know what, I want to go to these companies and say, listen, you know, pay us an agency fee. We will take care of everything. You know, you tell us what you want to achieve. We will work with you to build out your esports strategy, your gaming strategy. You know, their gaming strategy might be influencers and doing just a one-off campaign or it could be a massive esports pitch where it's being the title sponsor of IEM Sydney and sponsoring three different teams, like yeah. whatever, we will we will get that done. But it's also not just going to be a media buy. It's going to be, um, you know, we're not just going to go spend money for these companies. That's, uh, 
it's not good enough. Like we also are going to manage it. Like we're going to be the account managers. We're going to be the campaign managers, the client coordinators. We're going to do everything so that way we can help bring more brands into the space and stay in the space and activate properly. Yeah, fantastic. Touching on uh, a slightly different tangent, can you can you speak to the growth of player salaries globally as well? Like obviously here in Australia, we've seen a you know an exponential you know anywhere up to three hundred percent increase of player salaries year on year. Is it the same happening globally? Is there still an explosion, or is it now hit a, a point where it's kind of leveled out a little bit? Um, I think it depends on the game. You know, like they, uh, I think. Certain esports like the developer esports like a CSGO and a League of Legends, I think, have sort of leveled out. Um, they are high, and you know, I think they there was a stat recently at one of the esports insider events where um, the the person mainly responsible for the NALCS said the average player salary in NALCS is about 250 to 300k at the very minimum, yeah. Um, which is obviously un- unbelievable for you know, that's the that's the minimum. Yeah. salary no wonder you have to raise 30 million dollars series yeah. b right and but but in other titles where they're you know really new it is still very common for teams to just come in with a lot of money and unfortunately like they raise the salary average salary a lot too quick too fast yeah that's what you see specifically with titles like call of duty that that call of duty salary almost doubled year over year still going like that's um I won't comment on how much they are at the moment out of respect for the players, but, like, they're, they're a lot of money. They're comparable to a Tier 1 esports, and I, and I don't know if Call of Duty is at that point yet globally, um, yeah. even with franchising coming down the line. But it was so hyped up. It has such a dedicated audience, such dedicated people involved that the people who have teams, they want the best players, and they will put money in. And then every game comes out every single year, and it's the same thing, like, oh, my God, this year's going to be so good. It's going to be so much better than the last year. Oh, franchising's coming out. You know, you're going to want to sign players because franchising comes out. You'll be able to sell them and get a good return on investment. And the salaries go from 2K to 4K to 8K to 12K and upwards. Like, they just keep going. Yeah. You know, a game like Apex comes out. You don't know what the market is for Apex. It's so new. It's a new game. Yep. Yeah, it's a battle royale, but... It came out of nowhere, like, and it blew up. It was unbelievable. It's like, is this the is this the new Fortnite? Like, should yeah. we get in early? Should we get a team? What should we do? Yeah. No one knows the market, so normally, like, you would expect, okay, let's start slow. You know, one k, two k a month salary is like twenty four k a year. Like, it's not. It's pretty small. Um, it's comparable to your new esports, your tier three, tier four esports globally. Yeah. And instead, it's like it it blew up so much that every single team wants to get involved. It's like four k. 6k like just keep chucking money at it yeah and they're numbers they don't have anything behind them they're just numbers because they're numbers and you don't know and then unfortunately it's there are obviously benefits to it i mean it's great for the players you know you're a great player you're in this new game just blew up you know you didn't expect it to happen now all of a sudden you're earning not only salary enough to be full-time you're earning good money like good money by traditional media by just global standards you're earning great money Mm. that opportunity came out of nowhere because you just got good at this brand new game. And it's mm. also bad at the sense that because of it, you know, orgs are hesitant to get involved. You know, you look at Call of Duty specifically, right? Like one of the reasons, there's a lot of reasons why you don't see tier one orgs in there. You don't see Cloud9, Fnatic, TSM, TL, list goes on. You don't see a lot of these LCS teams in there. There's a, there's a lot of things. Um, but like one of them across the board is, of course, like how expensive it is to get in. You yeah. know, like if 
sal- if like salaries were a quarter of what they are now, I think you would see like a good percentage of these tier one orgs in there that would be taking care of players a lot better, like developing a lot more opportunities in there, working together to push that scene forward, grow Call of Duty, become a tier one, is what become what it's hopefully going to be with the new franchising. And it would it could have been happening years ago. Um, could have been working together to provide a lot more sponsorships in there. Mm. One of the things with Call of Duty, it's hard to get sponsors because, oh, there's so much blood, there's so much gore, all these things. Um, mm-hmm. If tier one orgs were involved, you know, that could have changed everything. But besides all of the other concerns about the community, about the gore, about selling sponsorships, it's so expensive to get involved mm. that that's, that's why you don't see these tier ones. Always. That's the negative. To the, it. Dif- the difference in organ company sizes between the top of the the top of the top in Call of Duty versus others who are even within the top eight is astounding to me. If you look at the top teams like Phase and Optic and the size of their companies, the valuations and what's afforded to them, who are you know say the number one and two team compared to someone like Mindfreak coming from Australia who's still in the top eight of the world. But the size of Mindfreak as an organisation, their players are competing, but there's no way that, that business size is anywhere near the top. It seems almost like a local league. You know, we see this a lot here in Australia and you yourself were involved with Team with team Immunity, you know, the only team in Australia that had any sort of money and sponsors behind them and then it becomes really top-heavy. And it's really interesting to see that Call of Duty has been around for a long time but still seems to have... You know, I'm not an expert, but from an outsider, it still seems to have some of those issues like a new game or an infant market does where the top is just so heavy compared to everyone who's sitting 6th to 20th that there's just no way that they can compete. Yeah. I mean, like it's even comparable, like, comparable to traditional sports. Um, I don't want to sound like an expert, but I want to – because I only recently got into like Formula 1. I recently got into it because of like the Netflix documentary. Um, and mm-hmm. – you know, from what it's talked about a lot, like it seems like a thing there. Like the top of your Formula One, you know, Mercedes, Ferrari, Red Bull, companies like that, you know, annual budgets, 600 million, 500 million. And then the low end, like there's not a lot of teams in Formula One. It's like very small mm. um, league, basically. And um, it's, it's a drop off of like 400 million or more in annual budget in this one league that's been going on for decades it's still that massive top-heavy mm. um, thing. And I think it happens in everything, you know. Like, you look at the top teams in NALCS, your Team Liquid, your Cloud9, your TSM, they have so much more than a new one, like a FlyQuest, a Clutch, whomever. Um, mm. Yeah, it's really interesting. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting to see. So jumping back on the conversation around, um, around Liquid Media, why... Why would a talent sign with you instead of signing with a Team 10, a Shade Crew, a Click or a Misfit? What's the advantages? I think it depends on the influencer, right? Like if you're just a standard casual gaming influencer, maybe you're an influencer that's like even 50-50 gaming. You know, I don't think you would. Um, I think you would rather sign with an agency that their, their job is just influencers or people that, you know, their talent is comparable to who you are as a talent. You know, it makes sense because that's yeah. their expertise. If you're an esport player, if you're like an influencer, like a gaming influencer that has ties to esports as well, you know, working with Liquid Media, it's a lot more um, understood, I think, for the for these for the talent because it's like they know esports or they are an esports team, but perhaps they're a pro player as well. It's like they are not just working with an agency. You know, I know a lot of people have concerns about an agency that perhaps only has sales as their main interest. Like 
Mm. You know, maybe they want to grow your brand, but they want to grow your brand because they want to sell against you and make ROI. Like that's that is what being an agency is. Like, yeah, it's it's of course like it's normal for the business side of things, but mm. um, you know, are they are they gonna understand everything? Whereas like an esports player can sign to an agency like a Liquid Media, which is Team Liquid. It's not like yeah. it's not an offshoot. It's not it's not people like just using the Team Liquid name. Every single person that works in Liquid Media past, present, future, is also part of Team Liquid, is also an eSport fan, also understands every single thing. So, you know, you're mm-hmm. their talent management, they're an agency as well. So it's like they understand how to do, how to grow brands, how to treat them like an influencer, how to do activations. But they're also mindful of that of how the eSport scene works. You know, that, mm-hmm. hey, double, if like we understand you're triple blocking scrims, you know, you're in scrims from 10 a.m. to like 7 p.m. at night, like, and you have other obligations, like, okay, we're going to work around that. You know, our Dota team's traveling so much, our CSGO team's traveling so much. Like, we understand that, we understand esports and how to work that. Mm. Um, and I think it becomes a lot more comfortable for the talent in that sense. You know, we also sign influencers that have nothing to do with Team Liquid and they just are under Liquid Media like a normal agency. And, you know, we're happy to help them because they also might want to be in a team. You know, they might want to be... Uh, I'll use Geordie as an example. Geordie X3, um, Fortnite pro player, previous yeah. H1Z1 pro player. Um, he was on Avant as, uh, on their Fortnite team. And I signed him to Liquid Media. Nothing to do with Team Liquid. He's, he's free to do whatever. Like, if you're a Liquid Media streamer, you are completely free to do your own sponsorships to join another team like it's fine like it, it's it's an agency that's just how it works um you expect that your agency works alongside an esports org um really seamlessly and they work together to grow your brand like they should both have your best interests at heart um and you know we got to get involved in that conversation and say geordie like what do you want to do like you know you're you're a pro player for avant right now are they what are they doing for you like are they helping you can we help in that way do you want us to work um with them do you want us to help negotiate your contract with them um help negotiate sponsors with them like, let's work together like, let's get it done and we understood how to do that because we came from esports so it wasn't like a mm. foreign thing we were like okay what's the best way to work with avant-garde here what's the best way to navigate this it's like cool like this is just easy you know like same thing like twiz he's part of my freak my freak's fortnite team and, you know, obviously I have a great relationship with my freak um, and their ownership. So it was easy to like do that and help Twiz, but also help my freak. You know, it's like my freak saying, hey guys, like, you know, we developed all of Twiz's graphics, for example, all of his stream graphics, all of his social graphics. And, you know, we want to put it in a, a strategy for growing that. And so it's like my freak could come to us and say, hey, you know, we know you did his graphics. We know you did this. We just announced Logitech as a sponsor or Monster. We need it updated. Could you guys please handle that? And we did. Like, you worked together. Mm. I think that's the benefit and that's the difference with Liquid Media is that it's, it's eSports. Like, you can have talent management that also understands eSports. It doesn't have to be one or the other. Mm. So minus, minus players and, um, like, professional players and talent, how many employees does Team Liquid as a whole have? Team Liquid as a whole, I think, has between 250 and 300 employees across the globe. Yeah. And what's the, uh, what's the growth trajectory been in the past for that? Has it been, you know, has it been like player salaries? Has it been one, 200% year in year? Has it been per project? A few more people are picked up here and there or through investment rounds? Uh, I think it's like based on per project. Um, and also, you know, what it's the, the strategy of the company, you know, like 
a year ago, two years ago, Liquid Media was just myself working for Steve Aronset. And previously, uh, um, a guy named Yoni Ginsberg, who then went to Catalyst and he's now working at Loaded, you know, one of the biggest influence agencies in the world, working with Shroud, Ninja, Summit, and so on. Mm. Um, it was just us. It was just me. I built that internal side out with Steve. And now, you know, four or five people all doing what I was doing. Like, it just grows because they start something new. It starts with an idea and then it it's incredibly successful. You know, content teams typically start as one to two people, end up being five to six by the end of the year, or we come up with a certain project. Right now, one of the things we're working on is for the year, like one of our big goals is fans and working with fans and doing a lot of community engagement. And mm-hmm. um, we have the, I think we have the biggest Discord server out of every single team. Um, and we have almost double or triple the members in our Discord server compared to the next biggest team Yeah, okay. Um, with our fan base. And we run community tournaments through our Discord in pretty much every single game. And we own a bunch of different communities. We recently acquired QIHL, which was the biggest Dota auto chess community. We have agreements in place with FNPL, Fortnite Pro League, um, and their community. And that grew out of nowhere, you know, 20, 30 people can be working there now and mm. working on this community thing. And, you know, we can launch initiatives that are so important to us as a company year over year that they demand hiring a brand new team. But I think, you know, over like year over year, regardless, there's just constantly new hires coming in as a growing company in an industry that's growing so fast, you need to keep up with everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, you know, I guess a lot of what we've touched on so far, you know, in this episode is talking about, you know, the, the difference between t- Team Liquid and Liquid Media and talking about how Liquid Media functions within, talking about the importance of diversification of income for Team Liquid and Liquid Media, hitting a few different angles but also supporting them at the same time. So when when Steve is is on the road pitching to Monster to try to sign them on or, or a new sponsor, is Team Liquid coming into the conversation with Liquid Media there? Is, is Liquid Media being offered as a part of that relationship together or, uh, you know, is it, the flip way around like is liquid media relying on team liquid more so what, what's the growth been like there for you and the importance of you within the company uh i think it has like liquid media has become an important part of the company um but every single you know core entity of team liquid is always included in every single conversation you know it's not just team liquid going to monster and saying hey you're just you know working with team liquid it's also by the way here's liquidpedia you know, another company, biggest Wikipedia platform in all of esports is TLNet and our community size, biggest community in gaming, completely, like in general, just biggest community in gaming. Mm. And, you know, they're also here. One Up Studios, one of the biggest video production teams and companies in esports, you know, they do incredible work. They can do commercials for you. They can do this for you. They're going to do branded content. You know, hey, Alienware, you know, you're going to do this sponsorship. How about you give us X more money? And you can be the title sponsor of the next season of Squad on YouTube produced by One Up Studios. Here's this, here's that. Okay, mm-hmm. you also have this budget. You want to target these influencers. You want to target these different communities. All right, well, here's Liquid Media. And, you know, through them, you're going to work with our influencers. I right, will dominate TF Blade CV. Um, they're going to target these people. They're going to do this campaign with you. It all comes together. And even though Team Liquid is doing the pitch and the main part is you're sponsoring Team Liquid as a pro team, there's there's always a part to play from every single entity um, and it has become an important piece because as companies get more and more involved and as esports grows globally they expect that you know they expect when they're spending so much money 
that they're getting everything out of it. You are touching on all of your inventory to deliver on that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that sounds interesting. It's it's like you know, Team Liquid's definitely gone to that that overall approach where you can you kind of sell everything, right? If you want some influencers, you say I got that. You want some cool videos like what HTC or HyperX do really well, you say I've got that too. If you want to do the only the professional gaming message to work with the best, you know, one of the best Dota 2 teams in the world, you've also got that or League of Legends or whatever game, you know, you may have. So it's interesting to see that, you know, absolute diversification of income because you can hit basically every single part of it. And I'm trying to, while I'm talking, I'm trying to think, and I don't really think there's anything you guys don't do besides large scale tournaments, like an IEM or something like that. You know, you seem to hit pretty much everything, right? Yeah. The only thing we don't do is large scale tournaments, but even then we also do tournaments. Like we do online tournaments. We do our online series. We do community servers. You know, we run tournaments in Apex, in Blackout, in Auto Chess, in Fortnite. And we do these partnerships like with FNPL so we can support Fortnite tournaments and everything online. So maybe live events is the next thing. Who knows? Yeah, who knows? We'll see liquid events coming up soon. <laughs> we better not yell that too loud or as we're outside the, the ESL arena, they might hear us. <laughs> but I wanted to touch on something we talked a little bit about off microphone as well is about the possible diminishing returns of working with a large um, working with someone with a large following versus working with someone smaller with a hardcore following. So there's been an interesting thing I've seen here in Australia. There's some influencers here who have multi-million subscribers on YouTube um, and they're obviously all over the world, right? And when they do a meetup at PAX Australia, they'll get the same amount of people coming to their booth and buying products as someone will who's quarter of the size but has a 90% Australian audience or simply has a very loyal audience. Do you find that as a talent manager that you're trying to hit these different people? You're trying to you're trying to sign some talent purely because they've just got massive numbers you can put on a deck and it looks fantastic to sell a CPM and you're also looking to hit people who have that hardcore audience within a niche market, whether it be Brazil, like you said, or whether it be in Australia directly or are you, you know, is that not necessarily something you can consider when signing someone new i think you absolutely like if you're an agency which is business in general that's, that's looking to make the most of whatever you can like you have to take into consideration the different demographics and the niche of these people you know like you can sign all these different influences that are in australia competitive america the difference isn't just that they're in australia the difference is you know they might be a variety streamer they might have an audience of 400 people that is going to follow them wherever they go, wherever they're talking on a podcast or whether they are playing a horror game or if they're playing Apex and the new hot title on, on Twitch. Like, that's a variety streamer. You know, you might have uh, an eSport player that's also a talent. You know, they are they can attract your, your hardcore companies like, you know, an Alienware or Razor, someone that wants to push the really high-end peripherals and something. Yeah. Like, they, they want to work with that eSport person. They don't want to work with, with a lifestyle streamer, um, whereas you know, a lifestyle brand um, like a Bose, for example, compared to a Razer would want to work with someone in lifestyle instead. Mm. You know, and having um, just signing the biggest streamers just to pad your numbers, like, yeah, like it's, it's a method. Like it, will, it can work. It's, it's an expensive method. And I think there are diminishing returns. Like you're going to spend a lot to get that talent. And unless you can sell against that big talent, you're going to have issues. Mm. If you can sell against it, you'll be fine. But at the same time, I, I would prefer to take the route of signing small, really dedicated following communities and working with them to grow them as well. And then using them the right way. Because otherwise I feel like you're doing a disservice to your clients. You know, like 
sure, you know, I could do a campaign if they have money and I could just say, you know, you're going to get double lift. You know, you're going to give me all of your money. You're going to get double lift. One of the biggest people in esports, regardless of what their product actually is. Mm. And, you know, whatever numbers they get, whatever numbers they get. Like you could do that, you know, and it's the easy way because you know, double lift has the biggest numbers. You get the most money out of it. There you go. But you're doing a disservice to the client when you could, when I could involve, you know, it might be an educational program and I could involve a mid-base instead, someone whose niche is, you know, his, his, he got popular because of his series Challenger and Free, where it would be short, easy to consume videos of people learning from a Challenger level player in League of Legends how to play a certain champion, how to do certain things. So, mm-hmm. of course, like his fan base is built on the idea of people that want to climb the ladder, people that want to get better. So, you know, you introduce an educational platform there, a, a tool that's used to, and specifically targeting people that want to learn, like it would cost a lot less for this company to work with someone mid-base size compared to double lift. You know, mm. they'd save much, uh, budget, they'd spend it a lot wiser. Mid-base's audience would be a lot more receptive because it's, it's a product made for them. And they would likely get a lot more conversion in, in downloads and sales, whatever it is for their budget. You know, ultimately, you don't just want to make as much money for yourself or for the influencer as possible. You also want to make your client happy. You want to have them come back and repeat client. You want to have them go to different companies and say, we use Liquid Media. We use this agency. We use this agency. They were great. They did everything. They didn't just take us for all of our money and we got mediocre mm. stats in return. They, they were very mindful. They were very attentive to what we need and mm. they spent our budget wisely and we're happy with them. Like you should want that as an agency, I think. Yeah, and it's a you know it's a, to be broken down as a basic thought exercise. It's do you buy an apartment block of ten apartments, or do you buy one mansion, mega mansion, and try to rent or sell either of the two? And that's how I see it. You know, do you sign twelve mid beasts, or do you sign one ninja? You know, there's advantages and disadvantages to both of them. And yeah, exactly like you were saying, can you sell against that person as well? Because once again, it's like an investment property. Sure, you can buy a mega mansion for $20 million, but if you can only get $1,000 rent a month from it, what's the point? You're going to be losing a lot of money over that time. Similar with Ninja. You know, if you want him to come to something, I hope you've got, you know, at least a hundred grand for the appearance fee alone, let alone the, uh, you know, the first class flight in the faster hotel that someone like that, you know, needs as well to, yeah. to function and, yeah, high quality gear to go with it. Yeah. Yeah, 100%. So, you know, we've, we're going for a while. It's been a fantastic chat so far, but I wanted to touch on sponsorship before we finish this one up. Um, once again, a throwback to Anne Matthews podcast number 22, she talked about the maturity and maturation of talks within non-endemic sponsors has been a lot slower than what she expected it to be. What about with you with team liquid, you know, team liquid as a whole has just signed Honda, which is fantastic part of, you know, the latest, um, automotive company to come in a big way into esports, and, you know, working with monster as well, who's been a real non-endemic sitting outside, um, the scene, you know, working maybe a little bit of EG in the past, but never as involved um, like Red Bull has been in the past and such. So obviously there's a few wins there for Team Liquid and Liquid Media. What's what's the conversations been like with you? How easy is it becoming easier to talk to these brands? Yeah, I mean, I want to be mindful of uh, how I answer because, you know, I'm not the person doing all the sponsorships for Team Liquid. Um, recently it was announced that Twitch would be handling a lot of this globally. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I don't want to speak too much on their behalf. Um, but to me, you know, I, I can see how it's slow. Being slower, you know, esports has grown so much over the past couple of years that you sort of have an expectation that these non-endemics are keeping up, like they just get it. 
Um, and so I could understand that, you know, you go into these conferences or you go into these meetings and maybe they're not as understanding as you thought they would be. And maybe they're yeah. not as caught in, up in the loop. You know, maybe they they do understand that it's big, but they don't really get why. Um, yep. You know, I can sort of understand how it might be, you know, a bit slow in, in that regard. You know, you expect like, in, in this industry, like we know how fast it's growing. Like year over year, it's just unbelievable growth. Mm-hmm. Um, and every now and then, you know, you do still have to do these things where you explain the whole thing of what esports is. Um, but overall, no, I think it has gotten better. You know, a lot of people, when, when I would go to non-endemics, or, or I'm sure like when some of our client service people would go to non-endemics, you would have to do, to talk about for a long time, like what gaming is, what esports is, how you have to do this, why this, yeah. why that, how, you know, oh, what people actually are buying tickets to go to an arena. Yeah. You know, people are watching this on Twitch. What is Twitch? Like, you know, you would have to do these conversations. Yeah. And now it's not so much, you know, like now, you know, it is going to happen. I don't, I don't want to say like it doesn't, but it happens a lot less. Like people understand that it is a thing. It's real. People are watching. People are spending money. People are excited about it. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, it absolutely has gotten easier. So what's what's coming up for you in the next six months across Team Liquid as a whole? Yeah, there's a lot of uh, really exciting projects that I get to work on now. Um, working under Team Liquid's leadership group with Steve Aronson, Victor Hosens and uh, Mike Milanov, you know, pretty much every single month I get to be doing something different. Um, I yeah, think cool. in the next couple of months you're going to see a lot of things being announced. Um, but, yeah, there, there's just so much awesome things coming. You know, I'm really excited about Team Liquid and I hope that through, you know, Liquid Media ANZ and through these other things, these other entities that we're building and that we're working on, that we can also help bring some of that to ANZ. Mm, yeah, fantastic. I mean, referencing back to the Forbes article, does it sting a little bit that, that you guys weren't ranked number one on that with as far as the valuations go? Um, yes and no. I mean, me personally, the, the competitor in me, I want us to be the best org. I consider us to be the best org um, and the best team. And I think a lot of people do as well. But, you know, I, and I want us, I don't want it to be a question anymore. I want people to be like, hands down, Team Liquid's the best. They know everything. They win everything. They're involved everywhere. Oh my God, look what they're doing in A and Z. You know, first massive team to come in and build this out here. I want people to do that. But, you know, there is a lot of work to be done. So, if you know, in the meantime, if people want to consider Cloud9 or Fnatic or whomever, you know, there are, they're great teams as well, great people working there. So it just motivates us more to be even better. So, you know, becoming involved more with Team Liquid and, you know, kind of the senior leadership team yourself, do you see, foresee a move over to the US for yourself in the near future? Um. <laughs> Not personally, not for me. Um, you know, I will be going out there later this year for a month and spending some time in LA at the facility um, and hopefully over to Netherlands as well. Um, but no, I feel like I, uh, I enjoy Australia too much, so I think I might be stuck here for the next uh, couple of years at least. I can't blame you. Australia's a hard place to leave. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I feel like once you're involved with the culture here and once you're used to it and how you interact with people in the community here, you know, there's a lot of good here. Um, mm. And it's hard to just give that up and, and move to America, um, e- even with all the benefits you can have in your career, for like personal life-wise. It's just a lot more enjoyable here right now. Yeah, yeah, extremely. It's very true. So if someone wants to connect with you, learn a little bit more about what you do, where can they do so? Yeah, you can find me mainly on Twitter, um, at Lewitt underscore. I'm sure it'll be linked somewhere. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, just send me a message, send me a DM, which you always open. My email's on there, which is lewitt at teamliquid.net. You know, if you're a 
influencer, a player wanting to learn more, if you're a brand that wants to enter esports or work with influencers, you know, feel free to always reach out. Um, you know, happy to help or yeah. give insight. And a final question for you, one, one that we used to ask a bit on the podcast. Uh, can you give some basic information as to where do you get your esports news from? What, what should people be tracking? I personally get my inside news from uh, just insiders in general, but I feel like if you're someone that's wanting to learn more about esports in general, um, there's a lot of great sites. And actually on Twitter, like there's a lot of things like you'll see Esports Observer, Esports Insider, these people that are mm. just going to announce all the new things. Um, you should find some teams, find the big teams that you're interested in and follow them as well. You know, that's where you're going to get the, this information first. You know, if you want to learn more about what's happening in Australia and New Zealand specifically, go follow Order, Diables, Chiefs, My Freak. You know, follow these people, follow Big, you know, learn, you know, get yourself involved in the scene. Um, mm. If you're someone wanting to learn who is working at these places, who's who are the staff, you know, go to their sites, find their staff, follow their staff, get involved with them. Um, if you're someone just wanting to learn esports in general, you, know, you will find reports everywhere that talks about the, the big entities, follow them on Twitter, you know, follow, like follow them on LinkedIn, you know, pretty much every team is involved everywhere. Sign up to the newsletter if they have, you know, start with the big teams like your Team Liquid and your Cloud9, mm. follow your ESL, DreamHack, MLG. You know, ultimately you're going to find everything here, but you will always find newsletters and sites on places like Catalyst and Esports Insider, which will provide you information mm. that you need. Yeah, 100%, I agree. That's a good summary. Yeah, thanks so much for coming along today, mate. Yeah, I appreciate it. Yeah, no problem at all. And thank you to listening in to the Big Esports Podcast. This has been episode number 36 with Ryan from Team Liquid. For any of the show notes or anything we talked about today, any links to Ryan himself or his team, you can head to bigesports.gg forward slash 36. That's the number 36 for all of the show notes and more information. Once again, this has been part of a series we're recording live here at IEM, the Intel Extreme Masters in Sydney. We're about to head off to the stadium and record a few more podcasts live here, so make sure you stay tuned for those. Thanks and bye for now. Thanks for tuning into our podcast today. For show notes, relevant links and upcoming projects, you can check us out online at bigesports.gg or follow us on our social medias at bigesports underscore gg. Today's podcast and all of season one and season two has been brought to you by our sponsor, PLE Computers.